So today we, we continue in our study of James. We're in James chapter 3. If you would please open your Bibles, if you have one with you, open up to James chapter 3, verse 13. That's where we'll be starting today. And I love this little section of scripture because it kind of validates everything that James has been talking about. Everything that James has talked about up to this point is kind of going to be covered, if you will, in the wisdom of God. So at the beginning of the book, when he says, have joy through many or various trials. And if you don't understand how to do that, he says this, then pray for wisdom and God will gladly, graciously give you wisdom. In other words, if you don't know how to have joy during your trial, if something major happens to you, like just happened to Gordy, and you say, Lord, I just can't figure out how to be joyful during this. He says, pray to me. Pray to me. If you don't understand how to do it, pray to me. I'll give you the answers. I'll give you more of an eternal focus. I'll give you a focus of my way. This is what God's saying, of what is true, what is right, what is lovely, what is pure. He goes on, right? And he talks about the word of God. He says, when you look at the word of God, don't just look at it and forget what it says, but do what it says. Don't be like that double-minded man who looks and says he understands, but he walks away and does the opposite. Again, those words that you're looking at are the very words of God. True wisdom, real truth. He says, when you're facing temptation, understand that God doesn't tempt anyone. The temptation's coming from your own evil desires inside, but understand you can beat that temptation because you understand what it's all about. And by wisdom, you'll know the right thing to do when that temptation hits you. And you'll be able to stand up under it. You'll be able to push it away. You'll be able to walk straight before God. He talks about that you should have works in your life, that your faith should produce works. That there's evidence, there's fruit in your life. You see those attributes of God because you're made in his image and you're following him. So you see stuff like peace and gentleness and kindness, faithfulness, love, grace, mercy. And they just flow out of you in the works that you do because they come from this faith, this understanding of who God is. Again, understanding his character, understanding his words. And it comes to this tongue, this evil member that you have. Don't be double-tongued. Don't praise God out of one side of your mouth and then curse men with the other side. But understand that it's all about your heart. Your heart controls your tongue, so God has to control your heart. Jesus has to be in your heart. And if his word and his wisdom's in your heart, it'll control the things that you say and what comes out. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So all of this, he's going to wrap up and he's going to say, this is all about God's wisdom. So this is study on God's wisdom today. We start in verse 13. Verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James proposes this question, right? He throws out a question. And if I was to ask the question in this room, if I was to say, okay, I want you to stand up if you're wise and have understanding. Who would stand up? 
I want you to stand up if you're wise and understanding. Would you stand up? Maybe. Maybe not. But here's a bigger question. How do you qualify or validate being wise and understanding? By what do you measure wise and understanding? See, that's a bigger question. Because there's many things that you can look at and you can say, ah, oh, well, I figure I'm a little bit wiser than them, right? Or in this particular situation, I sure seem to have understanding, so that might be me. But it's when you're sitting down and looking at this passage, you've got to say, okay, who's wise and understanding among you? I have to understand where do I measure that from? And James is going to explain that. And he's going to explain this, that this word wise, which comes from the word wisdom, is better described than defined. It's better that you describe it. It's about adjectives. It's about action. It's about what we do and how we do it. And that's what he's going to point out in this, this whole passage. He's going to say, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be wise and understanding. By his good conduct, let him show, he says. Conduct is the idea of how you act, how you conduct yourself in front of others, how you behave, what's going on when you're around other people, how do you present yourself, how do you act, and how do you react? What's your conduct like in any given situation? Because he says you're supposed to have good conduct. And he doesn't say good conduct just when things are going well. You're supposed to have good conduct. That's it. But what about when life's upside down? What about when everyone's against me? What about when I'm being treated unfair? Well, that's hard for you to grasp. You just look at the life of Christ. Who had people against him? Who was treated unfair? Who was walked all the way to the cross, yet he always had good conduct, did he not? By his good conduct, let him show. That word could be also translated as demonstrate or prove. Let him prove his works in the meekness of wisdom. James 2.18 says this. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And then here again, he says, let him show or prove his works in the meekness of wisdom. Again, it's something that should be demonstrated because of who you are in Christ. Remember, he's talking to believers. And what we're not saying is that your works determine if you have faith or not, or cause faith to come about, but it's evidence or proof of the faith that you already have. Does that make sense? Let me walk you through a little bit of scripture. There's a parable about the sower who sows seed, right? The seed is the word of God. He sows the seed faithfully. It's the word of God that's going forth. 
that seed hopefully lands on our hearts. Our hearts receive the word of God. If God opens our eyes to his truth, then when we hear the word of God, they enter into us and they get implanted in our heart. If the soil of our heart is right and ready for the seeds that are being sown, then those seeds will take root and start to grow. The more you water those seeds, the more you care for those seeds, then those seeds grow stronger and bigger and you could almost picture a tree being grown and the roots are rooted in your heart. You get it. And as that tree grows from faith, all of a sudden it produces fruit. The root of that tree is faith. The fruit on that tree is the works. So what comes first? The roots, the faith, the faith comes first. And then from that, we start changing from the inside out and our lives display these works that reach out and are identified by others around us. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. But he says, in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness which comes from wisdom. Very powerful, those words. Meekness can be understood as weakness, but it's never that in Scripture. Jesus was described as meek. In fact, Jesus 5.5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is the opposite of arrogance. You have arrogance on one side, and you have meekness on the other. It's a quality of not being overly impressed by your self-importance. It's gentleness, humility, Courtesy, considerate, considerateness. It's the lowly attitude of the heart that is full of gentleness and mildness towards others. That's meekness. The meekness of wisdom, the meekness that comes out of wisdom. Where does that wisdom come from? From God. The fear of the Lord is what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We can put it up there. Proverbs 9.10. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, a lot of times when we think of wisdom, this verse might come to your mind. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A lot of people talk about this passage. And it really, it really sings really well with this, this, what James is saying right here that comes from the meekness of wisdom. Think of it this way. The fear of the Lord is not a fear that, oh my gosh, I got to look out because God's going to do something terrible to me. It's not always looking over your shoulder. It's not thinking that, oh, at any moment, God could just smush me like a little bug. But instead, the fear of the Lord is actually reverence to who he is. It's understanding that God, the God of the universe, created everything that we see. The heavens and the earth, the stars that are hanging in the side, the sun and the moon, everything that we see, God created all of that. 
that God created us, all of us sitting in this room in his own image. In the image of God, you have been created. It's understanding the power that he has at his hands that Jesus, as he walked on this earth, fully God and fully man could calm the waves of the sea that could stop the wind from blowing. He could give sight to the blind. He could heal the leper and the cripple. Do you understand? He could raise the dead. He could forgive sin. You see, this fear of God, it's knowing who God is and understanding what he's about and then humbly submitting to that. So when he says this, let me reread it. By his good conduct, conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It all starts with that humility of who you are before a holy God. You see, if you go to God with pride, hey God, I have my list. This is how I expect it to be done and it's not working out my way. You know, my wife and I, we should be getting along a lot better right now. I did that list that you told me to do. I read it in your word. I did that list. It should be going a lot different, but it's not working out my way. Instead of with humbleness and meekness going to him and saying, God, this is a trial. I need your help. I need to understand what's next. All-knowing, all-powerful God. It's key in our understanding. We need to understand that we have to have that attitude and that attitude has to be in our heart. It cannot just be lip service. That we have to be humble. We have to be gentle. We have to be meek before a holy God that the fear of the Lord is truly the beginning of wisdom. So once again, James is saying, demonstrate it. Let me see it in your life. If, you, if you're wise and understanding, let me see it in the way that you live. Let me see it play out because if you are, if that's who you are, then you can't help but to show it. If that's truly who you are. If it's just knowledge, different story. He goes on. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be, a fault and be false to the truth. But if you have bitter jealousy, jealous of someone else, wanting what they have, wanting the good fortune that they have, looking to others, it also could be described as envy, Right? But looking to someone else and wanting to have what they have at whatever cost it may be. And that word before it, bitter, just makes it that much more rotten, if you will. It exemplifies jealousy. It's bitter jealousy. Selfish ambition. Putting yourself before everyone else. Doing things for your own gain. Everything you do is revolving around you. He says, but if you have these two things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, I would say an easy way to think about it is if you have pride and selfishness. What I want, what I need, when I want it, when I need it. What would be best for me? Doing anything to get it. 
looking for my own interests, always putting myself first, never putting other people first, but putting myself in the front. He says, if you have that, circle it in your hearts. Wow. Wow. If that's actually in your hearts, maybe it's not even playing out yet, but maybe you go places and you're just a little bit miserable, a little bit uneasy because you find yourself really wanting what other people have or you're not as comfortable as you think you ought to be. He says, if this is going on in your heart, it doesn't even have to play out because he's concerned about the motivation that's in your heart because he knows if that motivation is in your heart, then it will show itself at some point. If you have selfishness in your heart, it's going to come out. Listen, maybe it won't come out at church. Maybe it won't come out at your Bible study. Maybe you're at your best behavior then, but it's going to come out. You need to get rid of it so it won't come out. If it's selfish ambition, pride, looking for yourself and everything for yourself, if you're always focused on me, it's going to come out. You're going to find yourself not listening to people when they talk. They're going to be talking. You're just going to be staring somewhere else. You're going to be disconnected from relationships. He says, if those things are going on in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't say you're wise and understanding. Don't say to people, hey, look at me, look at me. I'm wise and understanding. Yet I have this stuff that's going on in my heart. That's opposing God, opposing his ways, opposing his people. True wisdom is associated with humility. And we always have to go back to the heart. He goes on and he says very clearly, this is not wisdom that comes down from above. He doesn't call it wisdom, by the way. He just says, it is not wisdom which comes down from above. This behavior, this thinking, this way that some are living, this is not wisdom that comes down from above. So surely they should not be boasting. He says, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. As I was studying this week, one of the guys that I read, he said, this was a familiar triadic paradigm describing the Christian and the forces that go against the Christian in his life. And he says in many books it's written that the three enemies of the believer are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he points out, isn't it interesting how James kind of summarizes with those three very things in his letter? And if you look at them, it starts out with earthly, but then it climaxes with the devil. So three different things. Philippians, Paul says this. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. See, Paul was a guy that really loved people, right? He came to Christ. He was a, a bad guy before he came to the Lord. When the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, he was the guy that was persecuting the church. He was going to get a letter signed so he could pull more people into prison. He was totally opposing Jesus when Jesus met him on that road. And he did a 180. You talk about conversion, like seeing someone really change. He did a 180. He went from fighting against the church to fighting for the church. And in this passage, you can see how much he loved people. He wanted to see people coming to faith so much so when he would look at people that were gravitating towards earthly things, he said he had tears in his eyes. He says, I tell you about it, it's not easy. I tell you about it with tears. These people are headed for destruction. They're, they're grabbing onto the things of the world and that's what they're holding on to. The things that aren't from God. The things that oppose God. You see this first thing that he puts down but is earthly. It's earthly. It's, it's the system of the world. It's the, the things that oppose God. It's what John talks about in his letters. That you can't love the world and love God. He's not saying you can't love God's creation like trees and the beauty of the skies and the rain that comes down and when a rainbow goes across it just staring at the stars at night. He's, talk, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the system that opposes him. There's a system that goes on in the world that's opposing God. Hey, listen, let's remove all Bibles from schools. Let's remove Bibles from the libraries. Let's not talk about our Christian faith. Let's not pray in school. Let's not talk about Christmas at all. Let's call it a holiday like everything else. It's pulling God out of the world. That's the system. And he's saying this other thing that's not wisdom, that's full of selfishness and pride. Comes, it doesn't come down from above, but it's earthly. Not only earthy, earthly, but it's unspiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. He doesn't have the spirit of God. His eyes haven't been opened to God's truth. So all he knows is, are the things of the world. He grabs on, he levitates to those things because he knows of nothing else. It's unspiritual. It's that part of our flesh when we become believers, that part of our flesh, we call it the flesh. And it's that part of us that keep wanting to do evil things, the things that oppose God. Unspiritual. And then lastly is demonic, which is opposite of divine. So you can see how he goes down in this. And the last one he lands on is demonic from the devil himself. 
That's not from heaven. It's from the world. It's unspiritual and it's demonic. It are the very things that oppose God and that go against his will. It's the things that'll keep you away from God. It'll keep you away from the things of God, but not only that, it'll keep you away from God's peace. It'll keep you away from God's comfort. It'll keep you away from what God has for your life. In fact, he goes on, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, again, repeating that term, he says, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Amen? Listen, if you're full of selfish ambition, who are you going to get along with? Yourself, right? And you probably argue with yourself too. I mean, that's the truth, right? And he couldn't say it more clearer. There will be disorder uh, and every vile practice. In other words, it's like a spiral that's just leading you down and it's headed towards all kinds of destruction. Don't you dare say that comes from God. Because that's from the evil one. You see, the, the devil, he walks around and he waits to pounce on you and to destroy you. Am I right? Isn't he the father of all lies? Isn't he the one that wants to take your eyes off Christ? Isn't he the one that wants to destroy all your relationships? Don't you dare say that comes from above. That's not of God, that's of the evil one. And the evil one wants nothing but to devour and destroy everything that's good. He wants to separate your relationships. He wants to separate the church. He wants to separate everything that he can. And here's the sad part. You don't have to walk around holding a banner that says, I'm for the devil, right? All you have to do is take your eyes off of God, the true God, and he's satisfied. Take your eyes off of Jesus, and he's done his work. That's how subtle it is. And once that happens, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That word disorder, just so you know, it comes two times earlier in his letter. And in the first time, it's the double-minded man. When he talks about the double-minded man, the same word group is used for he is unstable as disorder. And also in the tongue, when he has that tongue, he's talking out two sides of his mouth. When it talks about the tongue being restless, it's a restless evil. It's the same word that's used here for disorder. It just destroys it takes down. It's not wisdom from above. In fact, he'll go on and he's going to tell you about wisdom from above in verse 17. He says, but, or however, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's funny, he can take those, those two things, jealousy and selfish ambition, and he can kind of sum up everything that's bad and tell you it's just leading to total chaos and destruction. And then when he talks about real wisdom that comes from above, 
He gives us such a beautiful picture. Let's look at the words together. First, he says it's pure. It comes from God, with whom there is no variation or imperfection. Pure truth. Completely true. Right. It's what is best for us, and it's what is best for others. It's what is best for our relationships. It is what is right for life and godliness. It is for our good and for God's glory. It completes us. It grows us. It brings about steadfastness, making us mature, making us complete. It's undivided. It has a single purpose. It's always going for God's glory. It's always going for God's truth. It's always going for what's best for you. And that's pure. If you would write down, if you have a pencil in your Bible open, write down 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says this, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. That's a pure motive. Now, he won't do it perfectly. None of us will do it perfectly. But again, listen to the heart. My motive, God, is to do everything is holy and pleasing to you. That's what I want to do. My affections are bent towards you, God. My life, I want to live for you, God. It's no longer all about me, but it's all about God. The next word he uses is peaceable. Peace-loving, peace-loving, peacemaking, making peace between man and man is how one man wrote it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? Do you go in looking for conflict or do you go in looking to restore? Are you reconciling relationships? Or are you looking to break them up and destroy them? Does it even bother you when they're broken up? Next one is gentle. This word gentle is courteous, considerate, forbearing, tolerant, and accepting of other people's different ways. Not easily aroused and annoyed at what other people do or say. Consider it. Gentle. Open to reason. Someone whose mind is not closed, who is not insistent on his own ways, but willing to listen to other people. Other people's opinions. Other people's ideas. You know, this really works with the, the theologians, right? Or the Christians in a church. We, we say, hey, I think God's word says this. Well, I don't know about that. Show me where it says that. And you walk through the word together. It's fellowship. Seeing what God's word says, together, open, full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy means showing compassion to those in trouble and in need. It's one of the distinct qualities of Christ, mercy and good fruits. Impartial. We talked about not being partial. Right? When two different people come in a room, you don't treat one differently than the other. Being impartial means you don't pick sides. 
You, you don't split up rooms. You bring people together, you talk, you, you listen to everything that's going on. Sincere would mean without hip hypocrisy. It describes something that is genuine and without pretense, being truthful to others. In the New Testament, it's often used for genuine. That's the wisdom that comes from above. That's the wisdom we should be looking for. That's the wisdom we should be listening to. Amen? I have something that hopefully will help you remember. <clears throat> this is a glass of water. It really is. And it's ugly, right? But it is really water. And this is the type of water you might find in a, a sitting pool, maybe out in the wash or in your yard because we've had a lot of rain and it'd be mucky because it's not circulating. And in this type of water... If you were to get it from one of those places, you know that there could be dangers in it, right? There could be bacteria growing inside of it. There could be parasites inside of it. It's just generally unhealthy for you to drink this. Yet there's different places in the world where they only have water that looks just like this. They don't know anything else, right? So they're kind of drinking this and it's a risk as they drink it and they don't know any different and it's all they know. So it's just kind of normal to them and this would be their water. But that's not true for us. You see, we have water that looks like this. Clear. Treated. We know that if we drink this water, it's actually good for us and we need to drink this water. Right? We need to keep hydrated. And if you're ill, they tell you to drink a lot of this water so it'll flush actually bad things out of your system. And we see this and we can tell, yeah, that looks good. That looks like good water. So the question is, okay, which one would you choose? It seems simple, right? It seems like a simple choice. Like if you walk up to a table or you're sitting at a restaurant and two waters are put down, you'd probably know which one you would pick, right? This one. Want some? <laughs> but often we drink this one. You see, to look at me if this was outside in the world and you say, you're foolish, Steve, what are you doing? Why would you drink that water? It's so uncertain what's going to come out of that water. You know that can cause all kinds of problems in your body, right? You know that's not healthy. Are you going to bring that home? Are you going to give that to your kids too? Are you going to bring a bottle of that home and give it to your family? Who else are you giving that water to? You have this water right here, this clear water. Why aren't you drinking it? Why aren't you taking what is pure and what is right and good for you? Why in the world are you drinking something that could actually destroy you?
It's simplifying the message of our text. To those that don't know the Lord, to them, they only have one option. Their eyes haven't been opened to the truth. So they have what option? They're living in the world, spiritual things, they, they don't mean anything to them. So the reason that, reasoning that they do, being wise and understanding is all coming from the world and it's all about me. It's all about what's best. At the end of the day, that's what it is. Are there good things in the world? Sure, there's some, but it generally comes right back around to what's best for you. He who dies with the most toys wins. Scratch, do whatever you have to do to get on the top. Keep climbing that ladder. Get out on your own. Be independent. But then God opens your eyes. And we hear a passage like today and we understand, but real wisdom doesn't come from the world at all. Real wisdom comes from God. So when there's conflict in my home, I need to open up the word. I need to meet with other Christians. I need to get counsel from someone who will bring me back to God's wisdom. When there's something going on in my job, when there's something going on in the family outside of my home, I don't go running to the world. I don't go running to get advice from people who don't know the Lord. Instead, I, I stop, I pray, I get on my knees, I open his word and I say, okay, God, what's right? When it comes conflict in your marriage, right? Oh, you don't deserve to be treated like that. Are you kidding me? Move them out. Move on. You deserve something better. Well, listen, when we married, we said, until death do we part, right? Or as long as we both shall live. And we promised in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, meaning there's going to be storms that come. Again, encapsulate. Have joy during those trials. Well, God, I don't know how. Well, then seek me. Ask for wisdom. Allow me to help. I tell you to humble yourself. I tell you it's not all about you. I tell you you should consider others better than yourself. I tell you you should be worried more about your spouse's relationship with God than you are about your relationship with you. I say God comes first, not you. Seek his truth. Learn how to live. Learn what true joy is. Learn what hope produces. Jesus says, I'm the living water. You comes to me will never thirst again. Amen? It's like that relationship with him, it does everything for us. In fact, look at the last verse. It says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Not by those that are selfishly looking to their own needs. Not to those that are prideful. But a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The Sermon on the Mount. Like I told you, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. That's Matthew 5, 9, if you want to write it down. Proverbs 7 
says this, starting in verse 1, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments, <clears throat> keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. God's wisdom is meant to be placed right inside of our heart. The world will tell you love's all about what you can get. Love's all about you feeling good, right? I love that person because they complete me. I love that person because of how they make me feel. Jesus' love was, I loved you so much that I laid down my life for you. I did what was best for you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's humility. That's meekness. You see, God's way is so much different if we live that way amongst ourselves, amongst our families. Then all of a sudden we'll see the blessings of God just produce the fruit that comes from that faith. Amen? We have the baptismal set up. <clears throat> we don't have anyone scheduled to be baptized. But we said the fourth Sunday of every month we would put the baptismal out. And we want to be faithful in that. So it's out there. Now many times in church there are people that sit in the church services and when people are being baptized they feel like they should get up and they should get baptized but maybe fear stops them from doing it. Maybe they're a little intimidated and they just don't come up because of the fear of it. I get it. I understand that. But today is the opportunity, if that is you, you can come up. There's going to be someone at the prayer room that will talk to you about baptism and what it means if you have any questions or anything to make sure you know what you're doing and you're doing the right thing. That's available today. For some of you, maybe you've never thought about baptism because you didn't understand it. Baptism is a time that you're just showing the faith that's going on inside of you. Right? Faith comes from belief in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him, Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That whoever would believe that Jesus is indeed who scripture says he is. When he says, I, am the, I and the Father am one, are one, then he and the Father are indeed one, that he is fully God. When he says, I lay down my life for you so that you might live. I'm the living water. And you believe that in your heart. In fact, scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And that's what salvation is. That's what belief is, is trusting in what the word says about who God is and who his son is and how he came so that you might live. And if you made that step, if you turn from the things that oppose God and you're saying, now I want to turn to God and I want to live my life for him and I want to seek his, his wisdom. I want to seek who he is. I want to live differently. Then today would be the day you'd come up and be baptized. In Acts, Peter gives a good sermon and everybody in the room is convicted by a sermon. And they all come up to him and they say, Peter, Peter, what do we do? What do we do next? And he says this, repent and be baptized. Again, baptize, the baptism doesn't save you. 
It's just showing what's already going on inside. In fact, it's a symbol of you going under the water and dying to your old self and coming up again with new life in Christ. Just symbolizes that. But it's a step of obedience. So I'm going to call Jason up front. And he's going to lead us in a song. And while he's singing that song, if any of you, if today's the day to be baptized, we have towels, we have everything you need. Make your way to the corner and someone will meet with you and talk with you. If you need prayer for anything at all, we have a prayer team. During this song, they're going to be on both walls. Please just walk up and meet with them. Pray with them. Whatever's going on. Maybe you have praises over something that's really good. That's what the church body's supposed to do together. We're supposed to spend time praying for one another, but also praising the Lord together. So take advantage of that as well. And then I'll come up and close at the end. But for right now, I want to go ahead and pray. God, if there is anyone in this room that you've been moving in their hearts, Lord, whether it be just today or, or over the last weeks, Lord, or maybe even years, and they've never been baptized, may today be that day. May they step up in faith and just go into that water to show what's really going on in their hearts, Lord. And if there's anyone else in this room that doesn't know you, and maybe today's that day that they come to realize that you're real and they want to put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, then may they come forward as well. God, we look at a passage like this, and for some of us, we're reminded, and for some of us, it's a stark reality that, God, we're focusing on the wrong thing so many times. That, God, we need to put our focus and our sights on you. That we need to look to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. And we need to handle things in the way that you handle things. We need to be representatives, ambassadors of Christ. We need to be men and women that walk in a way that's worthy of the call that you placed on us, trusting in your word, no matter the cost. God, I pray that, and I confess it's not easy, but it's right. We need your help. May your spirit move in us and help us and convict us and challenge us and strengthen us. God, we thank you for this church. Boy, we thank you for today. If anyone needs prayer, I pray they come up, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.